Hello everyone, welcome. Our weekly scheduled program. We will meditate together first, uh, give people a chance to ask questions, give people a chance to trickle in. If you have questions, you can post them in the chat. If you don't have any questions, just close your eyes and we'll meditate together, or you can stand up and do walking meditation. Or just sit and close your eyes and watch the stomach and pay attention to the four satipatthana, kaya, vedana, citta, dhamma. So we'll just meditate together for maybe 15 minutes, after which we will have a Q&A session. So feel free to start posting questions in the chat.
All right, thank you. It's always best to start with a little preparation, get ourselves in a mindful frame of mind. Also gives us a chance to collect questions. So now we'll begin with the Q&A portion. Anything that's not a question will be deleted from chat. So if you don't have a question, you can just close your eyes and keep on keeping on. Bhante. We do have questions. In walking meditation, can we note a distraction right away? Or should we always note stopping and standing before noting the distraction? Is concentration more encouraged than in sitting meditation? So in walking meditation, if it's not a major distraction, you can... Well, if it's a minor distraction, you can ignore it and just bring your mind back to the foot. If you're going to note something, you have to stop walking first, put your feet together and note it distinctly from actual walking. Don't try and keep walking and note something else. How much should I let go of control when meditating? Currently, I very gently rest my attention on the belly and allow and notice when it is moved to the next object. Is this okay? I don't think you need to be so... Uh, so determined about it. You, you, you don't have to gently or not gently rest your attention. Um, I mean, just put your mind on your stomach when you're aware of the rising. Say rising. When you're aware of the falling, say falling. It's not so much about letting, letting go of control. You have to notice when you're wanting to control. So there'll be a desire or there'll be a tension in the body, and you have to note those. I wouldn't worry too much about how much control or how little control. If you're trying to control, you have to understand that's not right practice. So don't think that there's some uh, part of the practice that involves controlling. Just note when you feel the desire to control and the tension that comes from wanting to control, or not being able to control. There are some times during the day when I have 15 spare minutes I want to use to meditate. Should I do walking 15 minutes, sitting 15 minutes, or walking 7 minutes 30 seconds, and sitting 7 minutes 30 seconds? Any of those is fine. I mean, 15 minutes isn't a lot, so it's not going to drastically change your practice if you do any one of those. Um, you, you, you do well to try and balance throughout the day. You're walking and you're sitting, but 
The minimum is something like 10 minutes walking, 10 minutes sitting, anything less than that. And it's, it's fine, do whatever you think you're able. Sometimes you've been walking a lot, so you want to do a little extra sitting. Sometimes you've been sitting a lot, so you want to do an extra walking. That's fine for things like 15 minutes. But if you're going to do longer sessions, 30 minutes total or an hour total, yeah, it's good if you balance them. When meditating and noting, I seem to slip away. That's not to say I stop noting or I'm unconscious. I know I've kept noting, but it's like being elsewhere or at one with things. What is this? Well, you're being pretty vague there, um, which um, doesn't mean I can't answer, but the answer would be something like try to be a little more specific with yourself as to the experience. I mean, the words you're using are not actually, um, they aren't actually describing an experience and they don't indicate an actual awareness of what you're experiencing or, or mindfulness of what you're experiencing. So a, a key aspect of mindfulness is being able to identify what it is that you're experiencing. Um, so saying it's like this or it's like that, which the things you're saying it's like are, are nothing to do with experience. Uh, most likely it's some kind of feeling. So you might just note feeling, feeling, but you should also note liking or disliking, and you should note any thoughts you might have about it. What it seems like isn't that useful either. You have to pinpoint what it actually is, and from the sounds of it, it's probably a feeling of sorts. If it's just an awareness, you can say something like knowing, knowing that this is happening as it's happening. You don't have to figure out what it means or what it is, you know, what's behind it, nothing like that. Just try and note the experience of it. Is it correct to note the four elements during walking meditation, or should we always stick with stepping right, stepping left, standing, stopping, and turning? So that is noting the four elements. Uh, when you note stepping right, stepping left, what you're noting is the, the, the experience of the four elements. Um, we just give it names like that, like lifting and placing and so on. Stepping right and stepping left are pretty basic They're for a newcomer. We don't generally stick with that. Um, so if you're interested in a more uh, actual experience-based advanced practice, I would uh, encourage you to try and do the, the at-home course to give you some more uh, some more detailed uh, practices to go over. But that, that is the four elements. I mean, if you're just to note something like earth, earth, or air, that's not recommended because that's kind of... Those are just names of the act of the elements. The actual experience is something like pressure, hardness, softness, heat, cold, and so on. And you could note those, but when the when the foot is moving, it's much more simple to just say lifting, placing, or something like. That. I mean, when we start off, if you haven't done the at home course, you just start with stepping right, stepping left, and that's enough. I mean, read the Satipatthana Sutta. The Buddha said, when you walk, you say. I'm walking. 
You don't say this is the air element or this is the fire element or so on. Because that experience of walking is the elements, that's what you're being mindful of. In one of your old videos, I think you said we should focus on one point of the stomach whilst noting rising and falling. Should we focus on a specific point or in the whole sensation? The whole sensation. There's no, there's no specific point. I mean, it's unpredictable, so it might be small sometimes, big sometimes, but generally it's just a feeling of tension. It's whatever the body presents. You can't control what you're going to experience. I have this unusual fear of evil spirits during meditation, which is not present otherwise. Only during meditation it comes up. Can these beings possess my body in meditation? So it's not your body, and the beings don't exist. If you dwell in that kind of realm, then the answer is yes. Apparently beings can possess your body, but none of those things are real. And so it's not actually a danger for someone who is mindful. Because your experience is is separate from any kind of possession or takeover. I will say that it's incredibly rare for this to happen. It, it apparently does happen. Recently, someone, someone at one of the funerals I went to said that their uh, deceased relative possessed one of the children's bodies just to tell them something. So, I mean, it's not, I guess, exceedingly rare, but it's pretty rare. It doesn't really happen for very long sometimes it's this kind of thing someone wants to tell them something it can there can be cases of malevolent spirits it's just it's not that prevalent and it's much much more common for people to be afraid of such things and be misled by their own experiences we were talking recently about schizophrenia and I, it sounds like schizophrenia might be a lot of different things um, just meaning that the mind can produce experiences independent of any external phenomena sometimes it's very hard to distinguish and and reasonably so because in reality there is no difference if your mind comes up with something independent of any outside influence or someone plants a thought in your mind the experience is exactly the same right well i mean yeah, it should be indistinguishable because the experience is just an experience of thinking. Maybe you hear a sound hearing, maybe you see something seeing, but the experience itself is independent of the source. So if something appears to be possessing you, the reality is still going to be experiences of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking, exactly as if someone wasn't possessing you. And as a result, it's actually inconsequential, even though it seems scary and, and um, threatening. It's actually not, because experience is still experience. So if you see something, say seeing, seeing. If you hear something, say hearing, hearing. It's much more common, I think, for people to interpret these things as being an outside influence. Uh, you, you, it, it becomes a paranoia, and I think it actually leads to something that we call schizophrenia. I mean, I think it seems like for some people, schizophrenia is organic in them from an early age or, or out of nowhere. For other people, it sounds like they work themselves into this kind of paranoia. 
uh, and and acute hallucination as a result of their reaction. So you want to be mindful of that and try and reverse that sort of trend. But even if someone is organically schizophrenic, like it's just hallucinations that they can't control and, and they had no part in cultivating, uh, there still is the capacity to dissociate yourself from them to the extent that you experience them just as experiences. I think it's quite useful, this practice for someone who is schizophrenic, uh, potentially because they should be able to uh, see the experiences just as experiences. Even the paranoia, even the fear, just see it for what it is. It's not about trying to prevent yourself from reacting. It's about observing even your reactions so that you don't react to them, so that it doesn't become a chain reaction. So if you have fear, it's just fear. There's nothing, you don't have to worry about it being usual or unusual. Just say afraid, afraid. And it doesn't matter what you're afraid of, don't pay any attention to that. The reality has nothing to do with what you're afraid of, it just is an experience of fear. And it doesn't take an object, it's just fear. You just say afraid, afraid. It, it's triggered by something, but it's independent of whatever it was triggered by. So just note the fear. Say afraid, afraid. Um, and if you're thought, thinking about someone possessing you, just try and note that as thoughts. Don't pay too much attention to these conceptual ideas, because reality is still just experience. If you haven't read our booklet, I can recommend reading that, maybe even doing our at-home course if you haven't done that. I will say I will say this that it's far less likely for someone to be who is mindful to be possessed I think. So if your question is that is meditation going to lead to that certain meditations maybe mindfulness I think makes it a lot harder for that to happen. Your mind is just too strong and too clear. I fear commitments plans, obligations, and daily meditation schedule. They heavily weigh down on me and make me worried and nervous. I feel I'm not free and often overthink and overeat. Any advice? So yeah, the the obligations, commitments, plans, obligations, and daily meditation schedule don't weigh down on you. It's the fear that weighs down on you or the disliking because fear is based on disliking. Uh, and worry and, and anxiety as well uh, contribute. So those are what are weighing down on you. Just try and see them for what they are. Try not to mix them with the actual, well, the actual commitments, plans, obligations, and schedules. Uh, well, because actually those things don't even exist. They are tools that conceptual tools that we use but the reality is just experience so any kind of meditation schedule or commitment or plan of any sort it's just an idea in the mind it doesn't have any weight over you so try and note your reactions to it that's all uh, as for overthinking you have to just be mindful of noting distracted or thinking overeating Try and note the desire and the craving for food, the liking of the food, the taste of the food. Just be mindful when you eat. Is the physical a product of the mental? Should we understand the world in this way? 
it seems that the physical can produce mental and the mental can produce physical and it's not just productive like that but there are catalysts i don't know if catalytic is the word but something that is what's the word is cat is it cat is that what catalytic means this is related to being a catalyst but there are catalytic um relationships in the sense that something doesn't cause something but it contributes and supports something or inhibits something so the physical and the mental are uh, do have relationships in that way and it's actually quite complex there are 24 different types of uh, causality and they're not a causes b they're some things are associated with other things in in complex ways Can you please say something about the pattern, why does it always happen to me? What could be the underlying thoughts and emotions? Well, I could take a guess, but it's not that useful because it will be a little bit different for everyone. Uh, and so what you have to understand is that's the thought is not the pattern. So the thoughts are the thoughts, but the pattern is most likely some kind of emotional reaction that is perpetuating it. So usually a disliking, because you wouldn't say that. If, I mean, someone could say that excitedly, happily. Oh, why does this great thing always happen to me? Isn't it, isn't it incredible? But that's probably not what you're referring to. Most likely there's some kind of negative disliking of sorts. So those kind of things you can always just boil them down to disliking. Say disliking, disliking. And just note the thoughts as well. Sadness sometimes. Angry. How does the at-home meditation course work? How long is it? How much time does it require, etc.? What benefit does it have over attending these meditation Q&A sessions? So the at-home course is nothing like these sessions. And with the at-home course, you practice on your own at home, at least an hour a day. You keep the five precepts, and we meet one-on-one -on -one once a week, um, and I give you new exercises. So it's based on the booklet. That's where people start. But uh, the exercises in the booklet are just to be they should be seen as the first exercise so we start adding more complexity and and additional exercises both for walking and sitting just to sharpen the mind and strengthen the mind and answer your questions ask you questions that sort of thing and lead you through a very traditional course in satipatthana vipassana not the full course but pretty but almost all of it um, and it's a precursor for taking an intensive course in our tradition, in our organization now. We've just found that it's so helpful that we're starting to almost require it, except in exceptional circumstances, just because it makes the process of doing the intensive course so much easier for people if they've done the at-home course first. Um, how long is it? It's about 15 or so weeks, maybe a little more. Uh, so again, an hour a day, you're working up to two hours a day. Um, the benefit is really night and day. Uh, you can get benefit reading our booklet and maybe attending these uh, sessions, but you're still only going to be getting the very, very basic.
and you get a lot more if you have a, a daily regimen of practice and a weekly interview with a teacher to progress through the advanced exercises. It's also free in case anyone is wondering, so you're welcome to sign up. We don't charge money. We're not look. We're not doing this for money. So, don't be worried about that. Why do I get hooked onto songs and movies? It keeps running in my mind when I meditate. How can I handle this? Well, the the desire. I mean, there's a there's an excitement in the mind, and that stimulates the the brain. I guess which keeps triggering returning the triggers like an echo but uh, there's a there's a strength to the emotions that imprints it on the brain i guess and the brain is involved with re-triggering and uh, and creates the habit in the mind to react in the same way so seeing that it comes again and again is a part of the understanding of impermanent suffering and non-self especially non-self that it's not our our minds aren't under our control. That um, we can't we are, we aren't just deciding to like something or deciding to think about something. Uh, the mind has a mind of its own, and so seeing this repetition over and over and over again and and out of your control is an important uh, observation in the process of letting go. As a result of seeing that, the mind becomes less clingy and a little bit wary of just diving into addiction and attachment, less inclined towards it after seeing how unwieldy it becomes. So don't try and change it or stop it. Just be mindful of it. Patience is the big is the key word there, because that is a an important part of the process, seeing the repetition of things ad nauseum. Uh, the the correct response is to be patient with them and to not react to them and to learn how to be mindful without trying to chase things away or trying to encourage things or discourage things or anything like that. How much attention should we pay to dreams? Not very much. I mean, the the... the The takeaway from dreams is they provide a glimpse of your unguarded state of mind. So if you're very unmindful, you'll find you have nightmares and very vivid and, and wild dreams. But as you become more mindful, in the beginning, they can be it can actually increase the craziness of the dreams for a bit as, as your mind starts to dig stuff up and sort things out and stop repressing things and so on. You know, stop avoiding things or ignoring them as you start to be more open and receptive. There's in the beginning a bit of an uptick, but over time, people who are mindful dream far, far less and find that their sleep is far more peaceful and uh, healthy. And so dreams are not of any significance, except for showing that, showing your the state of your mind to some extent. Often your reactions in the dream will show that you still have uh, those emotions, but meditation shows you that a lot better. Mindfulness shows you that a lot more clearly. 
dreams can be deceiving. They're not very useful. Is this technique not too much fixing on single objects? Um, no, this technique is not about fixing on a single object. That's that's one key difference between satipatthana vipassana and, and samatha meditation. In samatha, you fix on a single object. In vipassana, satipatthana vipassana, your focus is on the momentary objects that arise and cease. So watching the stomach rise and fall is to watch things, experiences that arise and cease moment after moment. And and that's um, that's so because um, that's the difference between reality and concepts. The only way you could focus on a single object is if that object is conceptual, because realities don't last more than moments. And so if you're focusing on something for a long period of time, you have to understand that that focus is conceptual and eventually enters in completely into the realm of what is conceptual and is enabled to see reality directly. Is living in the streets a good lifestyle for a serious meditator? It doesn't sound like it. I mean, living in the streets is fraught with all sorts of dangers to the practice. Um, say living in the forest is a lot better. Living in the streets, there's too many people, too much distraction in the streets, I would say. But there's some nobility to it, the poverty, the, the giving up of everything, letting go of your own security, the freedom from it. It's not terrible, I guess, if you're very mindful. My friends suggest it may be good to kill beings, even people, so they move through samsara to a higher form. Won't killing a spider give them a possible chance as a human? How should I respond? Well, murder isn't the kind of uh, experience that leads one to a pure state of mind, being murdered. You ever, you ever seen in, the, in, a, in a movie or any depiction of murder where the person says, oh, good. I've been murdered, now I can focus my mind peacefully and move on in a wholesome way. Right? If you kill some, someone, especially an animal, that very, very much doesn't want to die, there's no aspect of that that's going to trigger wholesomeness in the spider or, or the animal. It's far, far worse. I mean, it's, the, it's far, far more likely to be the sort of experience that has a negative effect. Someone might, some being might have been in their last life as an animal, you know, feeling very... Take, take dogs, for example, dogs or cats, when we quote-unquote put them down, when, 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 owner, owner, when caretakers murder their uh, animal friend, animal companions... And call it putting them down. You're engaged. You're 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 um, 
you're putting them through an experience that is highly undesirable and confusing, usually involves things like poison, and uh, it's unnatural. It's not the natural death that they were waiting for. Uh, when people die naturally, there's something often, often, not always, but often magical about it, where they uh, experience an, in a complete state of clarity or, or a high level of clarity, where they it feels like they've just worked everything out and there's a last moment where there's a resolution. And that's that kind of death is a very natural death where it's quite likely that they go on to a good place. But that can only happen through natural causes. If it's unnaturally terminated, there's nothing like that. There's no reason for there to be that moment. There's no resolution, no final karmic, uh, you know, work, working out your karma so that the last moment you, you have a clean slate. You have a very unclean slate when you're murdered. You haven't uh, worked, well, not always. So, you haven't there's no reason um it's you haven't worked things out because of being murdered like oh good uh, here i'll murder this person and then they won't have to work out their karma that's not how it works you interrupt the process and so their death is often quite uh, unmindful and defiled and corrupt and and clingy and so on confused afraid no, I mean it's a silly question, but like you know, it's understandable how some kind of logic that's incredibly detached from experience could come up with such a, an argument. But even a, a basic observation of experience will clue you into the fact that that's a very, very dangerous idea, irresponsible and, and ignorant idea unrelated to actual reality. We shouldn't do drugs or drink coffee, but what about sugar? Should I drink only water or also Coca-Cola, for example? Well, coffee isn't such a drug, but it is a drug. It's not a drug in the sense of making you intoxicated, but it is a drug in the sense of providing a, a stimulation. And I, I don't get the comparison with sugar that, that people make, not just you. Um, and it could just be me, but I've never experienced the experience I have from drinking coffee, from having even... well maybe having incredibly high amounts of sugar, which you know, just poison your bloodstream. If you have an incredible amount of sugar, like like just syrup, like that uh, you know, syrup or, or some kind of sugar to a, a very, very high level, then it would mess with you. But just drinking a can of Coke, it's the, it's the caffeine in the Coke that, that has a very immediate and and noticeable effects on your um your, your energy level 
It's a, so caffeine is kind of a drug. Sugar, and, but I don't wouldn't worry too much about caffeine. So I mean, sugar, sugar is something you should worry about because of health much more. I mean, sugar is very bad for the body in large amounts. It causes a lot of sicknesses. But you know, I wouldn't worry about it from a mental perspective, except in how we like the sweet taste. That's much more dangerous mentally. Walking is good, thus we do walking meditation to help the body. Why not use other wise health modalities to aid the body to be able to meditate better, longer reaching? Well, that's a bit of an overstatement as to why we do walking. I mean, we do walking because sitting all the time is unhealthy. So walking is a good balance. That's the main reason I would say that we do walking. Another, well, that's one of them. Another main reason is because walking does have benefits that sitting doesn't. Um, it, it, provide, it sort of breaks up the lethargy, provides a strength of mind that can be very useful as a counterpoint to sitting meditation. Sitting all the time isn't such a good meditation practice either. And not especially in the practice of mindfulness. Uh, as far as doing it because it has health benefits, that's really kind of uh, just a side byproduct. It's more that it has health benefits over just sitting all the time. So walking and sitting yeah, is a healthy practice. That's all. We're not really interested in aiding the body to be uh, more healthy, like doing things that are going to improve bodily health. We're not really interested in that. Interested, the, the interest ends more at not doing those things that are going to be the debt to the debt to the to the excess excessive detriment to the bodily health, like sitting all the time. I feel motivated for certain tasks and actions and feel resistance when it comes to others. Any suggestion for how being mindful can help with duties and tasks when I'm unmotivated? Well, yeah, again, it's like talk, like I said with the other, the other question, uh, you note the resistance. You have to take the resistance as an object of meditation. That's all. It's quite simple. It's not easy, and it's not just going to fix your problems, but it will make them easier, make them better, lead to more patience. I mean, you get more results. As with everything I say in these sessions, the great results are only going to come from dedication to the practice. So it's not like a magic trick where you say a word like, resisting or disliking, disliking a couple of times and poof, you're, you're cured. It's a skill that you have to cultivate, but it certainly is the right way and the right, it puts you on the right track to take up the practice of being mindful of these things. You should see a, a benefit if you dedicate yourself to being mind, more mindful about the resistance. Do new beings enter samsara, or has there always been an unquantifiable amount of us? Was my being always around, or did I enter into the wheel at some time? Yeah, I don't answer these sorts of questions. Sorry. Is that it for the meditation questions?
All right. Let's just be mindful. Here's another meditation question. So the, the reason for avoiding questions of a certain sort is they're not practical. They don't have any practical application. They, they don't generally have answers because they tend to take, have, have basis in uh, concepts that are outside of reality. So there often isn't even an answer to such questions just because the very base of the question rests on assumptions that are invalid, that are conceptual. Uh, but, but mainly because it's just impractical, unhelpful, and not very useful. I can't focus on my breath as the main meditation object because it makes me more frustrated and it's too subtle. What other object can I use as the main meditation object? Look, see, that is exactly why you should be focusing on not the breath, but the stomach as your main meditation object, because it will make you frustrated. Uh, it won't be as subtle. So I don't know if you read our booklet, on how to meditate, but I'd recommend reading that. And instead of focusing on the breath per se, we focus on the reality that is um, that we call the breath. But the reality is the the tension in the body, the stiffness in the stomach, the the, the tension when the stomach rises and the stomach falls. So focusing on that isn't subtle, and so that problem is done away with. Agreed that the breath can be very subtle, but Frustration is not a good reason to stop practicing, especially in the practice of mindfulness. Frustration is something that we have to learn about, understand, and let go of, rather than, than avoid and say, oh, well, that frustrates me, I'm going to do something else. The way, the way to cure the frustration is not to avoid the thing that is frustrating you. It is, it is to get a better relationship towards the things that frustrate you, such that you're no longer frustrated by them. That's the solution. So try to be mindful of those things that frustrate you. I have trouble relaxing. I feel that I am an uptight and rigid person. What meditation can I do to change this? So I wouldn't recommend trying to change it because that's what an uptight and rigid person would do. I mean, that's the part of the up, being uptight and rigid is the need to control, the need to change. Something's wrong, I have to fix it. That kind of attitude is what leads to being uptight and rigid. So the solution is, again, to try and be mindful and have a better relationship with your experiences. Just try and be mindful of being uptight and rigid. Um, try not to see it as, I am this sort of person. Try and see it as moments of experience. So what is leading to this judgment of yourself as being uptight? Try and note the experiences of stress and worry and so on. Uh, anger, if it's rigidity and that sort of thing, being stubborn. Try and note the experiences. There's no cure to being this sort of person or being that sort of person. Why? Because that is not reality. So you can't cure something that's not real. The reality is the moments of experience, and those can be changed if you have a better habit of how you approach reality. And mindfulness provides that. So I'd recommend reading our booklet. 
if you haven't read the booklet and if you have then consider doing the at-home course it's a good way to start getting into mindfulness is meditation as important as keeping the precepts is there a connection between keeping the precepts and meditation it's not really that useful to stratify things like that like okay i can only do one today i can only do one keep the precepts or practice meditation so i have to um, prioritize that that's a, that'd be a very bad attitude they're both necessary in fact so as far as stratifying them i mean i would say nothing beats meditation and meditation could be considered more important simply because uh, precepts are just conceptual and if you're mindful it's you do much better than keeping precepts you're actually in, inherently ethical but if you're not keeping the precepts if you're breaking say the five precepts it's going to be very hard for you to be mindful and very unlikely that you'll ever enter into mindful states even enter into states where you want to be mindful your mind is just too corrupt so absolutely both keep the precepts and practice meditation and there's your connection the connection is that the precepts lead keeping the precepts maintain the stability of the mind and they describe states they describe the avoidance of states of of actions that lead to states that are unstable so absolutely keeping the precepts is an essential part of a meditation practice if you want to do the at-home course you have to keep at least the five precepts that we we have that rule for that reason i'm mindful when i wake up for about an hour then i lose that state for the entire day can you please advise on what to do well you might it might be a little bit mm, of a misperception that you're mindful for an hour that's not really how mindfulness works you might be concentrated for an hour when you wake up and that can often be because you've just woken up but mindfulness is momentary so don't be concerned with hours or anything like that uh, don't be concerned with states you've lost or gained or that sort of thing try and learn to be mindful in moments if you haven't read our booklet that might be a good place to start I find I am alone in the practice. I think I need a teacher. Should I try the at-home course? I can't say for you. I can't tell you what you should or shouldn't do. Um, but if you think you're up to it, I think anyone who is is able to do the course should do it. You just have to decide whether you're able to. I mean, the commitment is is substantial. You have to be doing at least an hour a day. That's like, I mean, that's something like, ideally you do half an hour in the morning and half an hour in the evening and it's half walking half sitting so it means 15 minutes walking 15 minutes sitting twice a day it's not a um, burdensome commitment by any means but it is a commitment so if you can do that i would say uh, with with very few exceptions i would recommend everyone to to do it I can't think of any exceptions. I just don't want to categorically say everyone, but I think everyone should do it if they can.
I dissociate often due to post-traumatic stress disorder. I've always found meditation challenging because I end up just dissociating during the practice. Any advice? Well, meditation is challenging, so don't be discouraged by that reality. Uh, but you can all, there's always experiences you can note. Whatever you mean by dissociating, I'm not exactly clear what that experience would be, but you note the experience. And, and you know what the experience is because it's not a, a monolithic thing. Experiences are constantly changing. Try and focus on your stomach. You'll find that that triggers often a lot of things surrounding PTSD. So once you're focused on the stomach, you can bit by bit start to apply mindfulness to those things that you avoid perhaps. Tomorrow is Buddha's birthday. Thinking about the Buddha at all times keeps my mind at presence. Instead of wandering to the past or future, is it okay to think about the Buddha at all times? Well, it's better than okay. It's a wholesome thing. It probably leads you to be reborn in a peaceful, happy place, but it's not the path that leads to freedom from suffering. So it's not what the Buddha would advise you to do. The Buddha, uh, the Buddha said you can, you could. Follow me along and hold on to the hold on to my robe, and you'd never become enlightened. Uh, the Buddha is not the goal. There was once a monk who spent who ordained. He was a lay person. And he thought to himself, oh, "I don't have enough time to see the Buddha." So he ordained just so he could see the Buddha all the time, and he would just sit there and look at the Buddha and smile. And he's so happy. And the Buddha uh, told him to get lost. Apehi, he said, "Go away." Why are you following around this disgusting, filthy uh, toilet of a of a body? And he went off to practice. And the Buddha said, who, who, "The Buddha said, who sees the Dhamma sees me." So the Buddha wanted us to see the Dhamma. Uh, that was his instruction to this monk. So, what is the Dhamma? The Dhamma is reality. So by under by seeing reality, you become in very much in tune with the Buddha, and you could consider be considered to be seeing the Buddha or being with the Buddha at all times. That's why we teach people to focus on reality. That's why the Buddha taught that. Why he was always talking about experience, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking, the five aggregates over and over again. The four satipatthana. It's all about experience. So by focusing on experience, you learn about experience. And by learning about experience, you understand the truth of the Buddhist teaching. And by seeing the truth of the Buddhist teaching, you become very, very close with the Buddha. You become, you could say, one with the Buddha in some way. Thank you, Bhante. We've crossed the hour. That's all the questions we're prepared to ask today. Okay, thank you all for your questions. Thank you, Chris and Jim, for your help. Uh, have a good week, everyone. I wish you all peace, happiness, and freedom from suffering. Sadhu. Sadhu.